As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It's Thursday, March 16th, right around 1.45 p.m. Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast is back with me. Carlos, the last time you and I uh, did this show was the eve of camp. Uh, since then, we've had three practices, junior day. Uh, we heard from Mario, his two new coordinators, about eight players. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, Colby Young, Matt Lee, Jalen Rivers, Inez Cooper, Cam Kitchens, Wesley Bassain, to Corey Couch. Uh, we've seen a bunch of number changes. I've tried to tell everybody that a bunch of guys are out with injury. Um, so a lot going on at Miami. They're, they're off this week. They'll be back next week uh, resuming uh, spring practices. The spring game is April 14th. Um, basketball team is in Albany. They're opening the NCAA tournament against Drake Friday night. I'm, I got them going to the Sweet 16. Wow, you got them for, you got them going further than I do because I, I they said not to pick them. I don't know if you saw that video. Yeah, yeah. But I I, I said all right, I won't pick you then. I I picked them uh, to lose in the round of thirty two, uh, to Indiana. But uh, all in all, man, a lot going on with Miami. Even though it's kind of an off week, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. You're in the tax office. Um, yes. So you know life is life is a little crazy. But I wanted to make sure we get the show in. We got some mailbag questions to dive into. Um, but first off, man, let, let's talk a little about Universal Studios because that's where I'm going to be next week. I know you got the uh, the annual passes. I've seen the roller coaster, the Velocicoaster. Yes. Uh, video. Explain to me how terrifying this thing is because I've been on roller coasters, but I don't. Velocicoaster looks pretty okay. dangerous. So let, let's also give somebody give the audience a little bit of context here with what I'm about to say. So um, you may know that I have a pretty strong constitution after watching me take down the hot wing challenge last yes, week. Yes, yes, we for did do that. that. So for, for those of you that don't know, uh, we're going to give you a little glimpse into our private lives. Manny and I and, and our wives got together. We we're hanging out at my house and we had some Domino's wings and I bought some hot sauces like you see on Hot Ones, the YouTube channel, the show. And we each tried uh, the five hot sauces that I had aligned for us. I made it through the challenge unscathed. Manny bowed out after wing number four. His wife fought through it, 
She was in pain, but she finished all five wings and she tried some of the other sauces again. She she went back for, for multiple rounds of the other sauces, which weren't that hot. So that being said, the reason I say that is when it comes to roller coasters, I'm sort of the same way. They don't really phase me for some reason. So I love the Velocicoaster. I think it's the greatest roller coaster I've ever been on, but it does have 12 inversions. So that means it's going to flip you upside down 12 times. You are going to be lifted off your seat. So basically when you flip upside down, they're going to get you off your seat for about three seconds or more or less, uh, multiple times. It goes up to about 70 miles an hour, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it's it's intense. Yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. Um, I kind of liken it to maybe being in a, in a fighter jet because of the way it moves around. So I think it's an awesome ride. But I also think Hagrid's uh, motorbike adventure is just as amazing, just in a different way because you're sitting in sort of a motorbike or the sidecar and you're going through an open track and it feels like you know, you've got the wind blowing in your face. It only goes like 55 miles an hour. And it doesn't have the same crazy twists and turns, but because of the way you're sitting and the way the track is run, it's fantastic. It's a fun ride. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been to Universal Studios in quite some time. Uh, next week is spring break for for my daughters and here in Barrow County. And the girls, they've been wanting to go. We've done Disney a bunch. This will be the first time they've ever been to Universal Studios. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it, man. It, it'll it's going to be packed, dude. I'm going to tell you right now. It's going to be packed. Spring break is a crazy time to go. Um, if you want to ride Hagrid's, you're going to have to get there first thing in the morning as soon as the park opens and run straight to that ride, and it'll take you about an hour to get on. If mm-hmm. not, the rest of the day, it's going to be about a three-hour wait. Um, Velocicoaster, you might be able to get it for like 45 minutes to an hour throughout the day. Um, if you're going to be there multiple days, you always go back to that one first thing in the morning. But uh, the things you definitely want to do, you got to try butterbeer when you're there. Okay. Um, have the kids try that. They're going to love it. Peanut butter strawberry ice cream at Florian Fortescue's in Diagon Alley. Mm-hmm. great ice cream that was harry potter's favorite ice cream um you know the men in black challenge the uh the shooting game is going to be fun for you and the girls you could challenge each other see who gets the most points uh maybe joanna outscores you all um what else i, I think there's there's just a ton of stuff to do there and you're gonna enjoy it you're not gonna get to it all i don't think in one trip but it'll it'll wet your appetite and you might be like you know what maybe you should get annual passes well, I'm glad we're talking about Florida vacations um, because this is sort of the time of year to be discussing some of those things. If you guys have any recommendations for things for me to do while I'm at Universal Studios, feel free to uh, include them here on the YouTube channel uh, or wherever you're listening to us. If you listen to us on the podcast, uh, you can always comment on the wide right pod at theathletic.com. Make sure you sign up for The Athletic. Always uh, affordable product, a lot of good coverage there from college football across uh, including my stories. And I've been doing a lot of recruiting stuff. My last show was actually with Grace Rayner, uh, who's, who's one of our uh, two rec- national recruiting writers. I've talked a lot about the camps that I've been to. I was up in Orlando, Carlos, to watch uh, the Under Armour participants after I had come back from Bradenton. Uh, so a lot kind of going on. Miami still only has one commitment in the 2024 class, a kicker, Abram Murray out of Louisiana. But there's a lot of kids coming on campus here in the weeks ahead. Uh, Nolan, Air Nolan, the uh, four-star quarterback out of Georgia who I've written about for The Athletic. He'll be one of those guys. He uh, just visited Clemson recently. Big-time target for a lot of schools. Top 10 quarterback in the next cycle. And it's important, I think, for Miami to continue that way. That said, Carlos, let's start with quarterback a little bit because I was sort of impressed with Emery Williams from what I watched of him in practice. Um, you know, yes, he's only a true freshman. He's, he's still very, very young, got a lot to learn. But I think from a uh, from an arm perspective, from a capability perspective, touch, etc. He's the kind of guy who I could see starting at Miami down the road. He didn't look like a, a, a your typical three star quarterback. He's a guy who went to Elite Eleven and did great. Mm-hmm. Um, my question to you as we as we start the discussion is, you know, 
Tyler Van Dyke's obviously the number one in this offense. Shannon Dawson, uh, air raid, uh, you know, spread type offense. Uh, he promises to be balanced. You talk about that in practice. But I guess my question to you is, in your mind, looking at Miami as a program going forward, are you a guy who likes your traditional drop back passer who doesn't run a whole lot? Or do you think Miami needs to evolve into using a quarterback that has more mobile and can throw on the run um, like a Jakari Brown and make and then make plays with his legs the way we saw with De'Aaron King a couple years ago? What do you think when you when you look at Miami going forward under the Mario Cristobal tenure, what do you think fits best? I think, honestly, you have to have an offense that's adaptable to either or. Right. I think whatever you can come up with in terms of recruiting, I don't think you want to limit yourself or box yourself into one type of quarterback. Either a traditional dropback guy or a you know a mobile guy, a dual threat guy, because at the end of the day, maybe that cycle that you're recruiting in, you you the best available guy is a traditional guy or a dual threat guy, and if your offense isn't adaptable to either one of those or only to one as opposed to the other, then you're sort of limiting yourself in and boxing yourself into those in terms of what you recruit to. Um, I think the scheme is adaptable to either one, to be quite honest, and I think the advantage of an air raid scheme is it places a value on accuracy. Um, and getting the ball to playmakers' hands in space, not necessarily having to have a cannon arm to throw the ball deep down the field every single play. There are going to be opportunities to take shots, but a lot of that is opened up by the the underneath routes and the things that they run underneath in the quick routes to get the ball in the guy's hands in space. So to me, I think it's adaptable. I would prefer to have a mix of that, right? To whoever wins the job, wins the job, who runs the offense best or whatever uh, is the one that, that uh, ends up being the starter. Obviously, to me, if you can have a dual-threat quarterback that's also accurate and can throw the ball, that's always a win, right? Because now you have to defend 11-on-11, 11 11 and you still have to be concerned about the passing game. So in, in, you know, in a vacuum, is it better to have a guy that's mobile and can throw the ball? Absolutely. But I don't want to choose one or the other. I just want to go with whoever's best at that time. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of an interesting question, only because you, know, you think about the backup quarterback, quarterback position. Last year, Tyler Van Dyke obviously missed time with the shoulder, got hit you know, multiple times, took some big shots. Miami's going to have to, you know, potentially make a decision at some point this year if it happens again. Like, what do you go with? Do you do you give, you know, running this particular offense, do you give a guy like Jakari Brown who has more experience the automatic nod because he started games in college last year? Or do you do you give, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the true freshman, Emory Williams, an opportunity to come in and run an offense that's probably more built for his, you know, skills right than it is for a mobile quarterback in terms of following suit with Tyler Van Dyke right I'm saying keeping the offense the same keeping the right. game plan I mean you same. can still keep the you can still keep the game plan and the offense the same the only difference is going to be in the run schemes right so what you right. would do is rather than having just straight handoffs you would add in more read zone read or power reads and things of that nature with the quarterback and essentially what you end up doing there is you are leaving one guy unblocked and having the quarterback be responsible for that unblocked player Whereas when you're giving it, that player is usually going to be blocked by an offensive lineman, a tight end, someone else within the scheme, um, which then limits you to blocking a second level player. And that's what the read scheme does. It allows you to play in a situation where you don't have to block everybody as you normally do in a, in a traditional setting, where you allow the quarterback to be responsible for that person, read that guy, and then based off what he does, his action, then the quarterback makes a decision. So it's just basically making a slight adjustment to the run games because you're still going to be doing RPOs anyway as, a, as, as in the passing game. Uh, and those things are going to be the same regardless of who's that quarterback, if you have a mobile guy or not. The difference is, you know, how much do you run just straight quarterback run game uh, and uh, quarterback read runs as opposed to traditional ones? And I think you might mix up a couple more of those in than, than you normally do. 
Um, the, the difference would be like from week to week. If now you have Tyler go down and Jakari takes over, then maybe from week to week, you might have more quarterback design runs where you're going quarterback draw, quarterback power, different things like that, where it's a design run, no read straight for the quarterback. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, it's sort of an interesting predicament like to, to plan ahead for. I don't know. I don't know that you really can week to week, right? Because you're, you're always going to the, into the week planning with your number one guy. He takes 60, 70 percent of the right. snaps in practice. And the offense is built around him. But I think there's obviously a clear distinction between Emory Williams' skill set and Jakari Brown. And when you install a game plan, if you lose your starting quarterback in the first quarter, it, it's hard to just get everybody to change the offense and, and, and to all of a sudden focus it simply on Jakari Brown's strengths when you've game planned all week to, to face a certain team a certain way. Right. And, and so that's why I think it's, it's sort of an interesting predicament. But you bring up a lot of great points. Um, you know, and I think, you know what, the, the base scheme is always going to be the same, right? Everybody's mm-hmm. going to run the same base scheme. Now, what you're going to do is you're going to tailor the routes you're calling to be fit Tyler a little bit more in terms of what he can do with his arm strength, as opposed to what Jakari can do. But the base scheme is going to be the same. So you're going to go away from a little bit of the calls you would normally have with Tyler and go with other calls that you go with Jakari, but they're still within the same scheme. So they know how to run it all. And I think, like I said, it's adaptable. That's the great thing about the air rate in terms of the passing game. It's very adaptable in terms of how you can run things. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of short, quick passes in, in yeah. this offense, you know, just playing in space, um, get, getting the ball out as quickly as possible and allowing guys to make plays, which I think will allow some of these true freshmen not to have to learn a whole lot, you know, in year number one beyond um, some base concepts so that they can just get the ball in their hands and be explosive. Um, that said, uh, I will say, you know, among the players that stood out to me when I when I got a chance to watch a little bit of practice, which wasn't a lot, Carlos, about 15 minutes. Um, I, I really thought Colby Young looked so much better physically. Um, you know, he first kind of came in. He had a little bit of baby fat on him from Juco. Uh, I thought he looked a little slow at times in and out of his breaks. He looks like a brand new dude out there. And I'm hopeful that he can develop into a true number one elite type receiver for Miami because that's obviously going to fill a huge uh, need for them. That said, you know, when Shannon Dawson spoke to us on the second day of camp, he said, look, a lot of these guys' heads are spinning, um, adjusting to this new offense. Um, It's going to take a little bit of time to sort of build that chemistry. But for right now, I think, you know, the receiver position, like I've told you in the past, I, I f- almost feel a little bit better about that than I do cornerback, where I think there's a little bit more of a, of a bigger hole for Miami to, to, to try and fill there um, with some of the guys that they lost last year. So um, it'll be interesting to watch from a defensive perspective. Uh, you know, Lance Gidry doesn't have a lot of his guys out there. A lot of dudes are banged up on the defensive line. Um, you're still waiting on on uh, on, you know, guys like Leonard Taylor to come back. They won't be back till the, till May. Um that's kind of a, a problem for the spring. That said, there's going to be a lot of guys getting snaps, um, young guys especially. Um, I, I, I like what I saw in terms of some of the size of the defensive players. Bobby Washington Jr., he's a 6'3", 220-pound linebacker. Caleb Spencer's a 6'3", 215-pound safety. I mean, these dudes, Mario has recruited size. That's the one thing I will say stands out to me uh, when, you, when you look at this team and you look at the new additions. Um, that said, there's still holes on that side of the ball, man. And, and I'm hoping that after spring, he's able to find some guys, I'm hoping some good players under the portal, man, he's able to bring in some help because they need it. Yeah, absolutely. I think they definitely need a help. If they can grab another corner, that'd be fantastic. Uh, maybe another safety to add depth, definitely a defensive tackle if they can get it. I think, uh, to me, it's interesting. I want to see what happens with Jared Harrison Hunt, because I think he's flashed at defensive tackle in the past. 
last season was a down year for him. Obviously, the uh, the addition of Daryl Jackson Jr. helped uh, push him back a little bit in terms of the rotation. But I think he's a really good defensive tackle who's had some really good moments in Miami and can pair well with Leonard Taylor if given the opportunity, if he rises up to the occasion. So let's see what he does this year because I think he's, he's a solid D tackle. If not, then there's going to be uh, some bigger problems on that defensive line than we anticipate. A couple notes uh, from my story. You can check it out on The Athletic from what the coordinators talked about. But one thing Gidry told us was that he's hoping to install about 65 to 70 percent of his defense this spring. Obviously, a lot of guys out uh, won't be won't be learning it at the same pace that the other guys are. But uh, the terminology is different from the one steel put in place. Um so there is a little bit of a language uh, issue, but that's going to fall on the players to learn. You, you've been part of uh, coaching staffs in the past. Uh, I don't know how many times you've been with a different coordinator <laughs> or not. Like, uh, but when changing language comes into into play here, how how much does that slow things down in terms of learning? Well, it's it's like anything else, right? Like if you're used to calling something black and all of a sudden it's blue, then it's it's, it's kind of a mind trick on you. So you have to actually study and learn and, and sort of try and forget what you learned in the past. Um, I think the best way, I mean, like it's, it's like learning anything, right? If, if you, if you're able to teach something in a way, uh, and name it in a way that the concept itself sort of sticks in your head and is easy to remember, that makes it less challenging to make that transition from the previous scheme to the new scheme and the new sort of vernacular and terminology you're using. But if it's just like random numbers and lettering and stuff like that, then it can get very confusing. But if you're, if you're calling basically, you know, just to give you an example, uh, a four, three over four, three, oh, um, and then you're calling a corner blitz, you know, field fire. That's very simple to remember because you're thinking 43. Okay, we're in a 43 base. We're over because we're O. And then we're going field fire, meaning that's the field corner coming on a fire, right? And then mm-hmm. we're playing whatever coverage behind it. So depending on what their calls are, if it's simple enough, people could p- pick up on it. I think the other thing is if your playbook isn't that extensive, it's easier to pick up those base concepts and then you can build off of that later. So which is, I think, what, what Gidry's probably getting at this spring. Yep, it'll be interesting to see them once they're uh, on the field for the spring game. I will not be out there for practice next week, those three days uh, that they're practicing, but they'll have plenty more after that. I think they're allowed, uh, what is it, 15 practices total counting the spring game. So I'll be back the following week. So we won't have a podcast next week. Uh, but the one after, I'll be back out there uh, giving you some reports and some some perspective. I want to get into a mailbag, uh, Carlos, before uh, we wrap this thing up. I, I, again, it's it's sort of a very dry time. Not a lot happening on the recruiting front in terms of commitments yet for Miami. I do know that they ha- are hosting a boatload of uh, talented underclassmen, including his 2026 kid out of the Baltimore area. Defensive tackle is about 6'2", 275 pounds. He's a oh. freshman All-American. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, when I got the message this morning from my friend uh, Brandon Adoy, who uh, works with Football Hotbed. He says, hey, man, can you put this out there? I'm bringing some kids over. Uh, at James Tank Carrington. Remember that name. St. Francis Academy. Freshman that's, a, that's, an, that's an appropriate nickname. Yes, he is a, a big boy. Some 2025 and 2026 quarterbacks as well from the Georgia area. Uh, a linebacker from Tampa. Um, Kobe Jones, an offensive lineman. Uh 2024 offensive lineman who's originally from Denmark. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of different um, kids out there, some locals as well. Uh, Xavier Reed, a defensive tackle in the 2026 class. Corey Sanders, running back out of Bradenton Manatee in 2024. Uh, all sort of under the radar guys or guys that really haven't been discussed a lot yet. But uh, those are names, some names to follow. You can follow me on Twitter. I, I tweeted out the f- complete list if you want to look at some of the names. All right, let's get into the mailbag. Uh, Carlos, this, I'm going to start with this one because it brings back a little nostalgia for us. If you, right. could pick, if you could pick two former players, 
one on offense, one on defense, and put them on the current team, who would it be? This is from Rashawn underscore 954. And could Miami win a national championship with just those two players added? All right. So uh, I'm going to add these two guys and no, they're not going to win a national championship with these two guys. <laughs> um, so let me think. I would probably add Andre Johnson. Okay. On offense because they need a number one receiver, an outside guy, a guy that could take the ball in space and make plays, but also get vertical. And, and you know, DeRay was a nightmare to cover just because not only was he fast, quick, but he was a, a, a big physical dude. So I thought about maybe Mike Irvin or Amon, uh, Amon Richards, but I think, I think Andre Johnson's a guy there. Um, defensively, Vince Wilfork. That's a good one. I think Vince Wilfork would be a great addition because they need that help with the defensive tackle. I thought maybe, um, maybe, maybe Ray Lewis uh, to help with the linebackers or Dan Morgan, but I think I'm going to go with, with Vince. Uh, I, I'm going to go with uh, two different names. I wrote these down bef- before um, before we got you on the show here to talk to me. So you cheated. My, okay. My, my, my choice is on defense. I'm going to go with the late, great Jerome Brown. Ooh, I think one. if you were to put Jerome Brown on this defensive line at the defensive tackle position, I mean, the influence that he would have. I think Miami's defensive line is one great defensive tackle away yeah. from being maybe a top, 2015 unit in the country uh outside of that i think they're probably very average uh but if you were to have a wrecking ball in the middle of that defense like jerome brown a guy who i think you know from a locker room leadership perspective would uh just sort of lift everybody up around him. you imagine jerome brown playing next to leonard taylor what that that hey listen vince wolfork next to leonard taylor a guy eating up two gaps consistently yeah letting leonard run free I think I think Jerome Brown is uh, the guy I would say for this defense. And then uh, on the offensive side, I went receiver as well, but I went with Reggie Wayne. I look, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying Colby Young is in any way, shape, or form Andre Johnson, um, but he is a big-bodied receiver. Reggie Wayne is sort of in the middle between him and Santana Moss, right? I think Santana is the kind of guy who could, you know, really shine um, in this in this offense. Uh, as a true number one guy, a guy who could who could move the sticks on third down, a guy who could, uh, you know, come in and make a, a, a bunch of plays for this offense consistently. Um, so I, I would say Reggie Wayne is is the guy that I would go with uh, first and foremost. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Has Miami lost more than it has gained this offseason with the transfer portal? This is from David Hernandez at D Hernan underscore. I, I would argue, look, they've lost more bodies. 20 guys have gone via the transfer portal, uh, counting uh, Khalil Brantley, the tight end who answered uh, last week, um, right before uh, junior day. Uh, but they've gained eight guys. And I would venture to say when when I look at the list and I have it here on my other uh, computer screen, so I apologize for not looking right at you, Carlos. But when I have the list right in front of me, um, you look you look at the guys who transferred in um, combined starts between them. I have to do the math. Let's see if I can uh, do this real quick. I've got these all on on Excel sheets. Um, if you were to add up the starts, you got 80 combined starts last season between the, the eight additions. And you got 44 combined starts between the guys who left. I tend to think that that gives you your answer, right? Even snap count. They, they've, the eight guys that they brought in have played 4,444 snaps uh, between each other. The 20 guys they left played 3,774 snaps uh, combined last season. So uh, if you just do the math, I think Miami gained a lot more in the offseason than they lost. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, from an ex- like you're saying, from an experience standpoint, they obviously got more than they, what they lost. Now, there's some guys, obviously, that hurt. I think Daryl Jackson Jr. hurt a little bit. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Khalil Brantley stay and see what he developed into. But I think overall, what you're seeing is they're, they're getting more out of the guys they're getting from the portal than the guys that were there before. All right. This is also another David Hernandez questions. He wants go-to restaurants in the Miami area. He's planning a summer trip, has family here. He wants to venture out to eat in areas. I'm going to cheat and, and and use the restaurant that you uh, introduced me to um, that sounds like Benihana, but it's not Benihana. You want to I'll let you I'll let you tease it. it. They actually changed the name now because I think Benihana might have. Uh, oh, really? Said, OK. Yeah. Cease and desist. Now it's called Benhama. Benhama. All right. Yeah. Benhama. Before it was before it was Benihama and now it's Benhama. Come eat. Right. Exactly. So. This is a Cuban uh, barbecue place that's near my office. Um, basically, outdoor tables, cool little vibe, very weird decorations. Um, but everything is basically grilled, fresh, and it is fantastic. They got great steak. They got great lechon. They got all kinds of stuff, congri, all that stuff, totones. Anything you want Cuban style done on a grill uh, or fried, in this case, with the totones and things like that. But it's an excellent place. Best chicharrones I've ever had in my life. And it's basically uh, Hylia Gardens, right? That's the uh, the, the city. That's Hylia Gardens, yeah. Okay. Uh, make sure you look it up. Beng Hama is the name of the restaurant. That's my suggestion. Do you have any others? Hmm. Like, it depends on what kind of food you want. So if he wants, like, you know, high-end Cuban, he can go to Havana Harry's, which is very good. Right. Uh, Havana 1957, I think it's pretty good in Pines, right? I think that's been mm-hmm. all right. Yep. You can't go wrong with Latin America, but the one here in Miami Lakes burnt down a little while ago, so they're still fixing that one. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, <laughs> there's uh, uh, what else? Um, I mean, if you like seafood, that place that I also took you to, Adrian Fish, is pretty good. 
Yes, that's uh, uh, off of Okeechobee Road, close to Hylia Gardens as well. We're giving you the uh, the sports writer uh, lawyer budget restaurants. We're not giving you the high end yeah. Miami Beach, South Beach. We we don't we don't really go there, right? We eat budget and we eat well, as you can tell by the way we look. We eat well, sir. So <laughs> hit me up on Twitter, hit Manny up on Twitter, then we can get you some uh, some more recommendations based on where you're going to be and what you're going to be doing at that time. All right, this is from Cotton Metzger. Okay, he's got three questions in a row for us. Um, this is this one's sort of for me, so I'll answer this one quickly. What are the differences between the coaching regimes in regard to the media access? Here's what I'll tell you. Um, Mario, I think, let us watch one full practice last year outside of the spring game. This year, I think the three practices have allowed about 15 minutes. Uh, we're not seeing any of the stretching. Uh, or, or it's more individual drills uh, and it's not 11 on 11. So if you, when you guys ask us for, hey, what's going on? Who's doing when, when I tell you what's happening 11 on 11, it's me talking to people who are at practice that are telling me what's going on at practice that I can't watch. It's And, and it's the same way for a lot of the other reporters. Uh, it, it, it's not anything that we're able to watch with our own eyes. Can I tell you that uh, Colby Young looks much better physically, sure. I got a chance to watch for 15 minutes. I recorded them on video. I got a chance to look at some guys. But I'll tell you this, uh, during the individual drills, some of the offensive and defensive linemen are all the way on the other side of the field. We can't get to them to see them up close. You got to kind of use the binoculars or zoom in on the camera. So it, it is difficult. Uh, when I first started covering the Hurricanes in the late 90s, uh, I used to be able to go to practice and after practice was over, talk to anybody I wanted to on the team. Now... Uh, they bring the players over, they coach them up and say what not to say. And then you talk to them for five minutes in front of a big group of people. And right when it gets to the five minute mark, they're telling everybody, eh, that's it. Last question. Guys got to go. So access sucks compared to the way it used to be back in the nineties, but that's the way it is uh, for a lot of college programs. Um, Carlos, this one, I'll let you answer. What are your expectations going into this season? We, we always kind of address this one, but what are your expectations? You know, for the offense and defense to look more competent this year, I'm expecting that. I'm hoping for that, and I think that'll be the case. Um, you know, and and as far as overall record is concerned, I'm hoping you know seven five eight and four is what I'm looking. I agree with all those sentiments. And then this is the last one. After the first few practices, which freshmen stand out? Um, who do you expect to get playing time this season? I think the freshmen will play. Uh, how much they play, how many times do they start? I think that's a much harder question to answer. I think Francis Mauigo will probably end up starting close to double-digit games on the offensive line. They have him at right tackle right now. He's the, the top recruit in the class. Uh, I think um, Bain, the defensive uh, lineman, will play a whole lot. I don't know that he'll start right away, but I think he will be in the rotation, play a whole lot. I think the two receivers – Robbie Washington, um, Nathaniel Joseph, Ray Ray Joseph. I think those guys will be in the rotation. They'll catch passes. They'll make plays. Um, you know, Samson Okalola could be in the starting lineup by the end of the season. Uh, you know, they have him sort of working in at left tackle so far early in camp. Um, I would expect that, you know, the, the, once some of the older players are back and healthy, that that'll change. But my overall point here is I think we're going to see probably – I don't know, somewhere between five to ten guys play a lot, and then after that, other guys play on special teams and, and be involved. 
So I, I think there'll be a, a pretty good amount of, of the freshmen in this class who play. And to me, I, I think it's man, a little concerning that Zion is still hurt because you were banking on him to be part of that offensive line and uh, add that experience and that solidify that left tackle spot so you can then bring in a freshman like Francis Pamagoa at right tackle and then be able to still use Jalen Rivers at a guard spot. Now you have to put Jalen Rivers out at left tackle and experiment there with him. He's never played that position before. So, I mean, what you thought coming into this spring was going to be sort of the strength of the team or an improvement um, is now sort of up in the air until these guys shake it out and figure out who's who's going to be where and, uh, you know, can they handle the pressure of being where they're at now? This is from S-Centric Pod, uh, like the name. Who would win in a boxing match between you and Carlos and then you and uh, Ebony Lifestyles? That would, of course, would be Kelvin Harris. That's the first question he asked me. Who would win between a boxing match between me and you? I would say you because you're in better shape than me, and I'm pretty sure that I, I would, you know, it wouldn't take much to take me down, Carlos. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have the jaw Look, here. It's, it's not. Uh, probably by the time I'm finished taping my wrist and putting on the gloves, I'm out of gas too, and it's not going to happen. So, yeah. better question would be who who could take down uh, more beers in one sitting? That would be a fun thing to do. I think we should do that. Obviously, when it came Is to. That- what's that is that is that gonna be the next challenge we can do that we can do the beer challenge i mean look the wing challenge i i i did well i just couldn't do the bomb uh that was the last sauce that i could not put on my lips i did the 357 which has over a million scoville and you saw my facial reaction um i was in pain uh my tongue was hanging out of my mouth for about 20 minutes and thank god your wife handed me uh some cuban crackers with cream cheese because that was the only thing that put out that fire um, right, Oh, but it's really the Cuban crackers with cream cheese that'll defuse all that. Yes. And then as far as uh, Kelvin and myself, I, I don't think I would really have to do much to beat Kelvin. I mean, yes, he, he's doing a lot more walking. He's getting healthier. Uh, but Kelvin would just talk my ear off. He would he would put me to sleep uh, just just talking about Kane's football and saying 15 and 0. He would put me. I mean, that would be the easy way for him to knock me out if we ever had a fight. Yeah, I think I think Kelvin is the uh, the Muhammad Ali of podcasting boxers. Yes, he enjoys it much more than we do. Um, who is your favorite player to watch and to cover? Man, there's been so many good ones over the years. Uh, I, I don't I don't even know how to answer that, um, honestly, right now. I, I, look, I enjoyed Frank Gore. I enjoyed Sean Taylor. I enjoyed Andre Johnson. Um, you know, there were Roscoe Parrish, all of those guys when I first got into this business, to see them now where they are, uh, you know, later in life, obviously Sean Taylor's no longer with us, but the other dudes, um, you know, it, it's crazy now to see them with their own kids and and to run into run into guys now much later. You know, Ricky Jean Francois didn't play for Miami, um, but he was a guy I got to know pretty well. Him and his brother, he played for LSU, spent several years in the NFL. I just ran into him recently. Another good guy that I got to cover when I was doing high school sports for the Miami Herald for a long time. So they're they're all good dudes. I don't know if I really have one that I can say is a clear cut favorite to watch and to cover because a lot of them were good dudes. And, and I guess my relationship with them is just different. I ask you that question, Carlos, who is your favorite to watch uh, as a, as a Miami fan? I mean, it goes by different eras, man. I, I can't really pick one dude. I think for me that that early nineties era was my favorite era because it's the, the era where I was like in, you know, middle school going into high school um, they were, you know, on the the back end of that dominant run. I love Gino Toretta, love Lamar Thomas, love Horace Copeland. 
Um, you know, love those teams. Uh, love the the Bermuda Triangle. You know, Jesse Armstead, Darren Smith, Michael Barrow, uh, Ryan McNeil, a corner. You know, I, I loved those teams um, because they were they were so fun to watch. It was just a, a party on every Saturday. Randall Hill running through the tunnel against Texas. Those moments to me, uh, the games against Notre Dame, you know, the, the early 80s teams were great as well. But I think those the stakes in those early 90s games, I think, were ratcheted up a different level because Miami had become so dominant and it was no longer the new kid on the block. Now it was like, OK, these guys are for real. And the Blue Blood programs and the country as a whole wanted to see Miami taken down a peg. So when you're you're beating the crap out of Notre Dame uh, in 89 at home in the last home game, some 27-10 and burying Tony Rice in the in the dirt and watching Maurice Crum go, go crazy on these dudes and go crazy on Tony Rice, watching Tiger Clark uh, pick a pass off and, and score a touchdown on a pick six. Um, you know, seeing you seeing Notre seeing Oklahoma and Nebraska go down to Miami during that era, that to me was my favorite era. So I can't really pick one, but I mean all those guys, watching all those teams were, were to me the most special moments. I love the old one team, but those early nineties, late eighties teams were my favorites. I agree with you. They were a lot of fun. Um who do you see starting next to Leonard Taylor? Good question, considering Daryl Jackson is gone. We've talked about that for a while. It's hard to tell in this spring because everybody's out uh, recovering. And, and not only that, but Miami's probably going to go into the transfer portal and, and pluck a, a defensive tackle. They already have two on the roster. Um, you know, one of them, bo both of them really aren't the huge guys um, that Daryl Jackson was. Thomas Gore, six feet, 270. He's from Georgia State. Uh, Branson Dean is 6'2", 280. I think those will be rotational guys. If I had to put a, a bet on it, my guess is Jared Harrison Hunt, who's 6'4", 290. I think that's the guy that physically is the kind of guy who could play 40 snaps a game and the other guys come in and spell him for the other 30 or, you know, uh, however many they got to be out there on the field for. Yeah, and it's they're missing, like you said, that that plug, that, that, that one technique nose tackle type of guy. Um, you know, kind of like Kendrick Norton was for RJ McIntosh back in the day. Those those two complement each other very well. Um, and I think Jared Harrison Hunt is more of an RJ McIntosh body type than a Kendrick Norton. Mm -hmm. And Taylor is also sort of that three technique quicker uh, pass rushing guy as opposed to a plug. So that's what they're missing. I think they're missing one big time nose tackle type defensive tackle. Uh, this is from You Heard Pod. Has Wesley Besaint been getting reps at middle linebacker? Uh, my answer to that is no. He said on day one he's learning Sam and Will. Those are the two main positions he's learning. Um, Corey Flag, Francisco Mauigoa, those are the guys taking the reps inside at middle linebacker. That said, uh, I, I wouldn't just say that's it. There's no way Wesley Besaint won't be in the middle. I think this is more about getting the two best linebackers on the field, especially since Miami's going to be in four to five, probably a whole lot. You'll have a Takori Couch in the slot. You'll have James Williams sometimes come down and play in the slot in the box. Uh, I think, you know, as a sort of a third safety or whatever, I, I think ultimately here, um, you know, we're, we're far off from being able to designate positions on this defense. The best 11 are going to be on the field the most, I think, most nights. Uh, and how they're utilized just depends on who's in there with them. Yep, I agree. All right. This is also from uh, well, this is from Andrew V underscore 17. Uh, does Miami have interest in the Houston offensive lineman who entered the portal last week? I think he's talking about Cameron Johnson, 6'4", 305 pound graduate transfer, two year starter at Houston. Uh, two years of eligibility left, allowed one sack, 13 pressures last season. Not necessarily outstanding grade, according to Pro Football Focus. But obviously with Shannon Dawson here, I think there's a chance of that. I think Miami. 
uh, is going to probably lose some offensive linemen, guys that are sort of buried on the uh, on the depth chart. And so Cameron Johnson, uh, you know, could he come in and start at one of those guard spots ahead of Inez Cooper? I don't know. I I, I think Inez Cooper's kind of proven to Mario um, that he's worth putting in the starting lineup. So I think this is more an injury question, more where is the health of this team after the spring? If some guys get banged up, I think Cameron Johnson is a take. I think Otherwise, I could see him going elsewhere because he probably wants to go play in a major conference and have the opportunity to be on the field. I don't know that he has that at Miami. I think Miami's first team unit is good. I think it's the backups and the rotational guys. And I think he's not necessarily guaranteed a starting spot coming to Miami. Yeah, I think it it improves his chances if uh, if um, gosh Zion doesn't come back from the knee injury or he continues to be hurt um, and doesn't look like he's going to be ready for the fall, the start of fall, because that way. You've got an open guard spot there you could slot him into. Yep. All right. This is the last question from Andrew V underscore 17. What position group should the Canes look to address in the second transfer portal window, which begins May 1? Uh, I've said it multiple times on here. Cornerback, defensive tackle, receiver, outside receiver, somebody who can stretch the field. I think those are the three biggest needs. And I would say potentially – Depending on the running back situation, right? Guys leaving, uh, whatever ends up happening, injuries, etc. You know, two of the two of the running backs you have coming back missed most of all the last season, um, and then you've got Henry Parrish Jr., um, who I think has been banged up at times and played through injury, and and then you've got the two true freshmen. So I think if a really really good re- running back were to enter the portal, uh, and and Mario had a chance to snag him, I think they might do that as well. Yeah, and I agree, but I think the priority, like you said, is corner and tackle. Yep, absolutely. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's Wide Right. Again, no show next week. We'll be back the following week after I'm off uh, vacation. But, Carlos, you and I uh, will we'll talk plenty, I'm sure, in the week ahead. I'm getting ready for that Velocicoaster ride. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, talk to you next week, man. Peace.